This is Included, the podcast. Conversations toward a greater understanding of the inclusive love of Jesus. Unpacking the mystery and wonder of the Word of God. For those seeking an affirming, equitable Salvation Army. For others. Thanks for joining. We invite you to take a posture of listening and exploring. As we seek together the good news for the whosoever. Welcome to Included the Podcast. This is season three, episode two. There was a bit of a gap. You might have noticed. We had a little break over the Christmas New Year season, but here we are back again. My name is Chris Halliday. I'm a Salvation Army officer in the north of the world at the moment, actually, in Amsterdam, but originally from Melbourne, which is my hometown and where the most fabulous Bal Cassie is sitting right at this very moment. Hey, Bal. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm super. How is how is Melbourne, actually? Melbourne is fantastic. We are about to hit a couple of days of heat wave, though, which you're lucky to be missing out on. But my uh, non-heat-loving person is is already struggling with the idea of it. But otherwise, Melbourne's great. Awesome. And how are you doing? We have heard your voice a couple of times. You've appeared on some of the yeah. videos on the included team and a few of our uh, a few of our webinars. But who are you? Who is Belkazim? Such a good question. Let's dispel the mystery a little bit. Not enough. Not entirely, though. We need to have a little bit of mystique. Uh, <laughs> I'm Bell Cassie, and I am also a Salvation Army officer. You can probably pick up by the accent that I am also Australian. Uh, I'm currently based in Melbourne, as we kind of intimated there. And my role is with uh, state youth services, so I get to hang around with the amazing uh, social mission team around Melbourne and beyond. So I love it. Great. Good stuff. Awesome. And um, so we're, we're both part of this uh, included team, which is just a group of people around the world connected to the Salvation Army, working in, in different ways to try to provide uh, resources and opportunities for people to connect uh, with content, to explore the ideas of, of uh, inclusion and equity and what it means to be a safe organisation and church for people who are gender or sexuality diverse. What's driving you at the moment? And I should say that this might sound like I'm interviewing you, but you're actually a host with me on this episode. We're going to have a great chat with a couple of people coming up in a moment. But very briefly as an introduction, what what is it that pushes you in this? What is it that pushes me? Look, I'm when we talk about, uh, we sing about, we read about the whosoever, and we yeah. talk about this great big expansive gospel of Jesus Christ that means all are welcome in the kingdom. And that's why I staunchly advocate for um, full inclusion across our Salvation Army as part of the LGBTQI community myself. Of course, I have a vested interest. I want my people to have a home. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, being someone who does work uh, and has historically worked predominantly with youth, uh we we risk losing yet another generation of incredible people uh who would find a place here in the salvation army and so i'm fighting for them i'm fighting for us chris yep. mm-hmm. and i'm fighting for um yeah a, a greater realization that this this is a message for the whosoever mm-hmm. and if, Preach. if 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 we read that uh jesus said that he came to give us life in all its fullness. 
That means full inclusion for all in the kingdom of God. Yep. Right on. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, I will say, Belle, we've got a really, uh, uh, I want, I'm trying to find the right adjective, deep, meaningful, powerful conversation about to come up. Um, yeah, there's a bit of irony here because you're quite infamous. I've seen a few Facebook posts of yours and you're yes. not a big fan of the long podcast. In fact, you listen to podcasts, if I'm not mistaken, at, at double speed or something. Completely. <laughs> But this Look, one, this went long. It, this was a long one, but it was a good one. Um, I have an incredibly short attention span uh, and, and, and am known for tuning out a lot. So I do <laughs> listen to podcasts at double the speed, but there is so much richness uh, in yeah. the conversation that we had with our guests in this podcast that it, it obviously held me throughout. Can I just ask, as we had the conversation, it, there, there was a lot of richness. There was yeah, a lot of topics covered. Uh, we're talking yeah. to two people, uh, Alison in Australia and Vili uh, here in the Netherlands, both connected to the Salvation Army uh, in the past and have disconnected uh, around 20 years ago both, uh, mm. but still hold a bit of a flame for the army. Now, they're, they're, they're different in some ways. Vili, I think, was a third-generation Salvationist. Alison came for uh, uh, for the first time, unreally knowing what the Salvation Army was, except for its mission heart and its justice action and its ability to allow women to preach. Um, but both uh, were pushed out because of their sexuality uh, and that's where the story uh, stopped differing because they've both had uh, the same experience in not quite letting go despite having really long and rich and meaningful, successful lives. Was there anything in that that was su surprising to you or interesting? Look, I think what was interesting to me was the fact that they both had a deep passion still, I think, for the Salvation Army or what the Salvation Army could be. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think uh, that sense of calling never left either of them. They've just found different ways to walk out that calling now. Their faith, uh, credit to them and their faith has never wavered. Uh, and they both, I think, still hold hope for what the Salvation Army can be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll get straight into it because it is a long conversation, so we won't be coming yeah. back at the end. Um, but Chris, uh, I do want to add one yeah. thing then. Uh, folks, if you're listening and this conversation that you get to hear today does happen to raise some things for you that might be a little bit triggering, might be a little bit challenging to navigate, uh, please do get in touch. Either get in touch with us through our Facebook page, it's included.com, or come the website rather, or come through our Facebook page and someone will connect with you and, and we'd love to try and support you through that. Indeed. Well, let's get into it. Thanks for joining and having this fabulous conversation, uh, Val. My pleasure, Chris. This is Alison and Vili having a chat about whether the Salvation Army ever truly leaves you. Well, it is wonderful to have you all here. Uh, Alison and Vili, what a delight for Belle and I to be able to be here and chat with you. Uh, we've got you on different sides of the world at different times. It's pretty early for you, Vili, and pretty late for you, Alison. 
So we're going to jump straight in. Do you want to tell us a little bit in your own words about who you are and what you're doing and where are you now, Alison? So uh, I'm talking to you today from Ngunnawal land, uh, so the Australian Capital Territory in Australia, so Canberra, where Parliament House and a whole lot of politicians uh, visit Parliament House. Uh, and I work in policy work um, where I uh, give advice on things that are good to do. And I live with my partner in one of the suburbs in Canberra. We have two dogs because I don't think you're allowed to be a lesbian without two dogs. And uh, I have a very dry sense of humour. Um, and that's me, really. Wonderful. Thanks. And who are you, Billy? Um, I'm a homosexual man li living in Amsterdam already for 20 years. Um, uh, I'm in Amsterdam now the assistant minister uh, for one of the city parishes, uh, the Oranjekerk, Orange Church. Um, but I'm also the LGBTI minister for the Protestant Church of, of Amsterdam. And um, I came to Amsterdam for love um, and then found work in the uh, uh, the Protestant Church as a youth work uh, advisor. And that's what I've done before I became uh, a minister. I don't have any animals or pets. Um, I think they would not have a good life with me, be me being as busy as I am and always, um, always on the go. <laughs> now, you've both got a, a very rich and involved history in the Salvation Army. Both were very active in, in the Salvation Army in different ways and uh, have since, as we've just heard, gone on to live quite uh, full and successful lives uh, in the decades since then. But how long ago really did you leave or, or pull back from active life in the Salvation Army? Um, okay, I can give, give two answers to that. Um, as an active uh, soldier in a local corps, it was already in 1991. Um, I was then assisting to the um, um, the, uh, the young soldiers sergeants, uh, and and it was the, the it was the my last meeting was a meeting with uh, uh, with the young soldiers uh, presenting themselves, and after that I decided uh, to leave. Um, I can tell a little bit more about that later. Uh, but I stayed on for um, seven more years, uh, also as the secretary to a national uh, committee that was part of the National Ethical Committee of the Netherlands to uh, research the position of gay and lesbian salvationists in the Netherlands and to, to write a Bible study, to come up with statistics, interesting for you, Alison, um, uh, and in the end give advice to the leadership of the Dutch, uh, Dutch Salvation Army on how to response to uh, the question and needs of, of gay and lesbian salvationists. Uh, but I left then in uh, 1998 because one year before I found out that uh, little uh, to nothing was done with the report we had written. And then I decided, uh, and that was after a 10 years period to really break with the Salvation Army and become uh, reformed. And, and Alison, if, but probably not far off, only maybe a few years before you also pulled back from active life in the army. Yeah, so I was an officer until 2001, um, and I really, I really left officership because I was burnt out. At least that's what I told everyone. Um, what I say now when people ask me, because um, I'm, I'm the pride champion where I work, is I said I left on account of extreme gayness. Um, 
my <clears throat> it was it was really clear that I was far gayer than the Salvation Army in 2001 was likely to uh, be able to tolerate in any sort of length of time. And I, I knew that I had to make a choice between being authentically me and authentically following my calling. And that was a really hard choice and really traumatic. So I hung around the army um, and went to a corps for a couple of years because I wasn't I wasn't quite sure that I was gay. Um, I someone should have taken me aside and sat me down and talked to me and said, you know, you like cricket, you um, you are very nerdy, and you like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, you've got two, you've got dogs. Um, you. Uh, you you really like Melissa Etheridge? Um, have you have you have you thought about That's the main criteria, Alison? If yeah. you can tick the Melissa yeah. Etheridge box, man. And and I wore Doc Martens and I liked flannelette shirts, you know. So I, I had a very extensive Doc Martens collection. Um, so for for me, the the leaving was actually deciding to leave was hard. I was really burnt out, but it was still really hard. And um, when I did leave, I I think it took me a while to actually do the leaving in my head. Like I'd physically left. I wasn't I wasn't going to the army anymore. But it took me a long time um, to leave in my head. Mm. Alison, up to that point where you did leave, what had life in the Salvation Army been like for you? Um, so it had been wonderful and horrible. Um, so, like, I, I remember the day I arrived at the training college and I went, oh, this is not me, this this best. So I didn't grow up Army. Um, I went... I went to the army because I felt a strong calling. And part of that was around social justice. Part of it was around the role of women. Um, none of it had to do with Navy surge uniforms. I still remember the first army meeting I went to and I went to what was then a largish corps and I walked in and there was it was Easter Sunday and there was Navy surge everywhere with hats and stockings. Um I didn't wear skirts, I didn't wear stockings, I didn't wear high heels, and I <laughs> most certainly did not wear hats. Uh, I didn't like brass bands, I didn't like timbrels. So, you know, if if Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and he went the other way on a boat, it was that was kind of me. I was like, this is this is culturally not me. Um and yet and yet I kind of felt like I fitted um while feeling like I didn't fit at the same time. I know that's a really strange thing to say, but it was um the theology fit, the the concept that um whosoever will like I remember where I was the first time I heard the chorus, because I'm a salvo, I have to do theology by chorus. Um uh whosoever will, whosoever will send the blessed message over Vale and Hill. Um tis the master's pleasure to call the wanderer home, whosoever will may come. And I thought, cool. 
And then I realised no one meant it. But I still thought it was cool. And I wanted to be part of an army that that did that. I'm also a pacifist. So, like, the whole army language was really hard. Um, Mm -hmm. What I was really looking for was Quakers with uniforms. Um, And the... Then I like I knew I knew I was supposed to be an officer. I'd I'd heard a minister in a church I'd previously attended say, if you are called to preach, it's like a fire and you can't put it out. And I went to him and said, I'm called to preach, and he said, but you're a girl, which I hadn't up until that point realised was a problem with the whole preaching thing. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I've got to find somewhere. And and so the army fit that. Uh, and then I went to college. And everyone was related. Like, seriously, every, everyone was related. I kept meeting, meeting people's cousins and aunts and uncles, and I didn't have any of those. And and the first couple of weeks, I was really sad. And then there was one day, and I went, so if I'm not here, how will people like me ever fit? You can't be what you can't see, but you also can't see what you can't be. And so... I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a purpose for me being here. Um, And then I got appointed um, out of college to a little country town in uh, in the state that I'd grown up in. And uh, my DC at the time said, uh, I, you know, grow it or close it, you've got a year. So I thought closing it was probably a really bad look. I better grow it. Um, and I, you know, I really flogged myself to do that, but I suddenly worked out that if I wasn't committed to creating the kind of place that I could belong, no one else was going to do it. And so I thought, well, I've never belonged anywhere. So like, why should here be any different? And that was fantastic. And I was five hours from DHQ, so no one knew what I was doing on any given day anyway. Um, so I ditched the high heels and the stockings in kind of the first six weeks. Um, I ditched wisdom. the handlock. Yeah, yeah, I, I had the gift of wisdom. Um, so for me, this was my purpose. Uh, I could tell people stories that made a difference to how they saw the world and I could tell them that even if no one else told them that they were loved and they were wanted and that they were needed, that that that's how Jesus felt about them. Didn't mean I didn't have the ladies who gave the organ recital in testimony time starting at the head and you needed to stop them before they got gynecological but you know um you always you always had to have your ear out for you know when we were going below the ribs and have a good rousing chorus at that point um so it was wonderful and it was terrible and it was wonderful and it was lonely and it was the best thing i ever did sorry that was a very long answer but that's good. It gives us a really helpful picture. Vili, what about you? What was Salvation Army life like for you prior to leaving? 
Um, well, uh, differently than Alison, I grew up in a Salvation Ar Army family. So my my uh, great grandmothers, both from my father's side and from my mother's side, uh, already were Salvationists. They, I think, they belong to the first generation of Salvationists in the Netherlands. Um, <clears throat> so I was, I was um, the Salvation Army DNA uh, already was very uh, much part of of me, and. Um, um, uh, what what triggered uh, me being uh, even more involved was the development, the theological development of my father when I was a teenager, um, uh, until my parents um, uh, decided to go to training college. Um, it was only custom for officers to be trained during training college and then afterwards, not anymore. But when my parents went, there was a five-year training after that. And for the first time in the Salvation Army, uh, Salvation Army officers were taught by uh, academic theologians. And that's, um, uh, that shocked many uh, uh, officers, including my father, shocked in a good way, uh, and, and that they um, that they learned that um, uh, um, uh, theology in general could so, could be so much more than they had, had ever thought uh, uh, thought of, and it, it shocked uh, my father's beliefs to the core. And I was I, I was um, uh, present when that happened, and I saw I saw it happen, and it created a, uh, 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 an interest in, into the theology, and it's made the sense of urgency that is. Uh, so much part of when you are uh, part of the Salvation Army, even stronger. The sense of urgency that you have a mission, that it's important to tell people the story of the gospel, that you need to go out there, and that your whole life evolves around that. <laughs> and so the, my, the development of my father made that, that feeling of urgency even stronger. And this um, um, uh, well made me very active in the Salvation Army, uh, in the Salvation Army Corps that, uh, that I was a part of with my parents. And of course, I was only still young. I was a teenager, and I was active until my twenty seconds within the local core. In the end, in the local core in the uh, in the town where I was um, uh, studying theology, and um, I, I just did all the things that a salvation salvationist does: <laughs> singing in the in the songs to brigade, playing in the band. Uh, selling war cries, open air meetings, uh, and of course, uh, because I was a theology stu student, they also asked me to preach. So I also did that um, on the same square my, where my grandfather has had preached as uh, when when they had left officership uh, again. So there was uh, um, there was this sense of urgency that was uh, loaded, so to say, by the development, the theolo theological development of my father. And also the, uh, the 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 need to or the the feeling that I should do it even better than my parents and grandparents uh, did it by, uh, by deciding to go study theology, and also the historical connection that I of course also felt because I went to study in the town where my grandparents lived, so where my father was born, uh, where my um, uh, uh, where he um, uh, grew up. Uh, I knew all the stories. I I took Chris there to see the names of my. Uh, grand, grand, great grandmother and grandmother in the in the um, I don't know what you call it, but it's um, uh, where where people are um, their their names are put on cards and they are remembered uh, after they uh, die. Doesn't I don't know if is this a Dutch custom? I think that is just yeah, a Dutch I, custom, I but it's it's quite beautiful. So on on, on most core, okay. there's a, a giant board okay. of, uh, with with a card of every person yeah. who's been promoted to glory. So it was really yeah. quite special to go there and see the, the names of your grandparents. Yeah. Yeah, so this, it's also the, the historical connection and me being the fourth generation, feeling the urgency to to go forward with it. And um, 
Um, but that was only the case until 1991. And then the involvement the, the changed, uh, 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 as I already told, because I was invited to become the secretary of this national committee, which, which was called Human Relationships. It wasn't They were not uh, allowed or there was no room to call it um, uh, a, a committee on the study of homosexuality because homosexuality, the, the words even couldn't be used then. It was 1992. Um, although it was not the first time that uh, research was done on this specific topic, but it was called human relations. And then, of course, my involvement and my connection to the army changed, but I was still very much uh, from the heart connected. And I, and I was really hoping would we bring about change. I was I was in my 20s, and when you are in your 20s, yeah, then you have high hopes for everything. <laughs> um, but um, as I already told, uh, there was no change back then, and, um, uh, and then my connection slowly severed. But the... the 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 spirituality is, is is still there even until today so so in my 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 theology is reformed now i can say and from the outside uh, people would not recognize me as an uh, ex-salvationist although in my activism and in the way i'm a minister now you could maybe recognize it but uh, the spirituality the sense of urgency and um um um, the, the the flame that's uh, is re rekindled, if that's the right word. When I when I listen to the the music from before, I'm still a big fan of it. <laughs> Nobody understands. All only the people from the Salvation Army, of course. Uh, that that really that still also rekindles my my fire and to be active as I am today as a minister and an LGBTI minister. So that 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 flame is still there. Yeah, that you are doing that something that's something that's really important and that there's a. a can't, can't define it better, but that, that there's a sense of urgency to it. You have to do it. I love what you said really about the heart connection there. And I think what I would, even though both of you have such different um, historical connection with the Salvation Army, uh, what I was hearing from both of you was this deep sense of faith and deep sense of calling within the Salvation Army. So really, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit when you made that decision or to leave, or whether, mm -hmm. it, however that came about precisely. Um, yeah. Can you unpack a little bit some of the some of the feelings about having to make that disconnect from this uh, denomination, this community of faith that you were so connected with, to mm -hmm. having to step away? If you could talk through some of the feelings and maybe some of the practicalities involved as well. Um. Well, um, um, uh, the 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 um, uh, let me take you for, uh, further back a little bit. When I was nineteen, when I was eight, nineteen years old, I became a member of a, a Dutch Christian LGBTI organization, and um, uh, 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 of course, I became pretty active quickly already. Became uh, becoming a member of the regional board of of this uh, organization. And uh, I, I, I decided to also um, try to find members within the Salvation Army, and I, know, I knew they were there. So I, I, in my division, I wrote to all the core. Uh, of course, my I had access to all the addresses through my parents. There was, of course, there was no internet then. But uh, and and this this shocked uh, national army leadership that I did something like that. And that's when that's when the conversation about my position began. And um, I, I was very um, how do you call it? Uh, I wanted to fight, so I was uh, uh, because I I, uh, I wanted to fight because I was I was never uh, troubled by my own homosexuality. It was never, I had, I never wrestled with it, or so I always felt loved by God. Uh, 
So I, I was in this position of, okay, I want to fight for this and to see uh, uh, what I can do also uh, involving Slovenians in this organization. And um, um, then, then my position was being debated by the local officers. And uh, when I have to think about what it did to me emotionally is that it's, of course, I was set aback, so to say, um, and but but it mainly brought about that I was that a sense of anger or something that because I I I I felt I fully belonged and that should be um, also the the the, the um, starting point of the conversation and um, so but at, at when time passed um, I was uh, working with the young soldiers with with the with the sergeant uh, that was also a good friend of me. And uh, at some point, uh, some of the parents complained that I did this work, and they said they uh, accused me of uh, pedosexuality, actually, uh, and and that also made me very angry. And then I started to feel, um, uh, okay, I can fight for the position of uh, gays and lesbians within the Salvation Army, but when such accusations come based based on nothing, what 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 kind of uh, career uh, would I ever have within the army? And um, um, uh, uh, this conversation about this specific accusation that was put on paper by my uh, local officer or by my officer, uh, poor officer back then, was also brought to the divisional officer and then to national leadership, and that made me very sad uh, because there uh, there was no way for me to break through any kind of uh, barrier for people to understand what I was going through at that moment. Of course, my parents, then being Salvation Army officers, were very in were in solidarity. But there was never one uh, officer, uh, and also not a officer that from whom I knew that was gay or lesbian that decided to step up or to um, to uh, uh, have that uh, uh, debate alongside with me. So it was very lonely. It was very lonely. Um, and at some point, uh, when this uh, uh, meeting came up uh, with the presentation of the young soldiers, then I decided, okay, after this meeting, it is over uh, because I can't be part of the army. And being active and doing all the things that I need to do, if there is, uh, if people don't find a possibility uh, to talk with me about this seriously, because there was uh, the the core officer had written this letter, sending it to the divisional officer, but there was no not one of the local officers that ever talked to me about this, that ever said really we have to sit down and talk pastorally or or disciplinary or in whatever uh, and this this complete silence uh, i think in the end that is what what broke me because when when there is a kind of uh, silent debate going on uh, or at least with my core officer and the rest of the community and especially people who are responsible uh, keep silence and because they just don't know uh, how to talk about it then then your position becomes very very strange and uh, it was from a position of feeling lonely uh, and uh, seeing that uh, there was no way to go and also, but also still from the position from, okay, then I come to find from fight from a different position that I decided to uh, to quit uh, the, uh, uh, being active in a local core. And it's good to know that at the same time, I also found one other uh, gay salvationist with whom I started um, activism within the Salvation Army nationwide, so to say. So we wrote an open letter, uh, which was published in a lot of newspapers, and we published it just before um, what the, the period in which uh, the army goes out to collect money, national appeal or something in, in English, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and this was actually the only time that I was called uh, called by uh, somebody from the army to say, oh, really, what are you doing now, uh, publishing this open letter just before the national appeal? All the other times, it was me who had to make the phone call. It was me who had to be active to, to talk about my position. And, uh, well, of course, that adds to the feeling of loneliness and that you are doing something that has no... Um, that has no future. But of course, the period then uh, still came up being a secretary. Um, and it was hard for me to imagine what else I could do with a, uh, apart from being an officer. So it also, uh, the questions came, okay, what do I do now? As I'm studying theology, I want to finish it, but what, uh, I have no idea of what, what, what to do. Of course, it's all changed, fortunately, but it's, um, and that having your future in the midst, of course, is also, um, uh, uh, not resulting in, uh, uh, well, uh, very uh, uh, good feelings about um, uh, where you are, who you are, what your mm -hmm. what your uh, purpose is meant to be. Yeah, I hope I'm a bit... Yeah. It's hard to, yeah, to very, talk yeah. all of this in English. <laughs> no, you're doing incredibly well. Thanks, okay. Billy. Alison, what about you? Can you cast your mind back to that time and recall the feelings of, of what it was like having to make a jump or be pushed whichever way it was going to go yeah i, I jumped before i was pushed um yeah. and and it's it's like it happened yesterday i gotta to say to you it's like it happened yesterday yeah and it's taken me a long time to realize that it's trauma like it is religious and relational trauma and in fact i was just sitting here i'm, I'm sitting in my office at work on my desk i have old songbook and new songbook um, not because I'm a big songbook fan, but because every so often I want to, I want to kind of look at the words. Um, Same here. Because it's got them too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've got um, yearbooks on my on my bookshelf so that I can do statistics whenever Chris requires them. Um, Just one more. Yeah. The youth songbook. Oh yeah. <laughs> also <Yeah>. there. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, it, it it's just funny how it happens, yeah. Um so I um I, I wanna add something kind of to my previous answer, which is I my time in the church had been full of people saying to me, if you're not attracted to men as a woman, um, then go to the doctor, check out that you're all perfectly fine. And if you're fine and you're still not attracted to men, then you've got the gift of celibacy. So, um, you know, have a good look at the Christian young men around you. I wouldn't recommend this for gay men because it may not have the intended um, effect. But, you know, I had a look at the Christian young men and went, mm, nothing interesting there. And so I've thought, I've got great, <laughs> I've got the gift of celibacy. And um, I, I, I think their answer uh, to how to work out if you had the gift of celibacy wasn't, quite accurate because it was coming from a heteronormative place, right? So I'm in ministry. It's difficult. It's wonderful. Um, I was seeing very fruitful results of my ministry, um, despite when I left college, my then training principal saying, we don't think what you've, you've got what it takes to make it. Um, two days before my covenant day, they asked me to consider resigning, and I said, I'm not resigning. I made sure I was the first person to sign my covenant on covenant day. I nearly knocked over half my session on the way to the mercy seat. Um, <laughs> because I'm like, I will, I, I will not do 
I, I may have a slight rebellious streak. I will not do what you want because you can't give me it. Because I said, okay, so what's the reason? And they said, you asked too many questions. And I'm like, questions are good. I, I, I'm going to stay. And then they appointed me to this appointment. So, you know, in my session, people were going to uh, coastal suburbs in Queensland and uh, inner city Sydney near coffee shops. And I got sent to central west New South Wales. Find nowhere on the map and stick your finger in the middle of it. And that's where I was going. And all anyone could tell me <laughs> about my all anyone could tell me about my first appointment is the public toilets in the park were nice. So I arrived in my first quarters and the walls were purple. I hate purple. Um, and it was furnished in what I describe as early op shop. And uh, there were motorcycle stains on the carpet. And I'm and I had two friends from the session ahead of me. They came over to help me clean the house because they said we think it's probably pretty disgusting. And like I grew up in not great, um, not very wealthy circumstances, so I didn't mind that it was humble. It was just that no care had been taken in my quarters. So I when I let when I decided to leave. Because I knew, and, and yes, I was very burnt out after a very intense period of ministry and some quite outrageous things that people did, I didn't want to leave ministry. But I knew that if anyone knew that I was gay, no matter how um diligent and disciplined I was in my life, I would face exactly the same things that Vili just talked about. I knew, I'd, I'd been there, I'd watched people go after soldiers and officers who they thought were gay. Like I'd watched it, I'd seen it happen. Um, I had listened to people do the five minute reasons why we're not gay talk at the beginning of their talk about two single women being appointed together. And it and there were a couple of things. One is people made being gay all about sex, not about who you could be truly known by and have an intimate relationship with. And mm -hmm. whenever anyone tells me about the gay agenda, I'm like, which bit? The mortgage, the like working <laughs> 16 hours a day. Like we which bit do you do you object to? Um the, you know, going home utterly exhausted um, after a really busy time. You know, they don't object to any of that. And so mm. I went, well, I'm, I'm going to have to leave. And, and like, really, I went, well, what am I going to do? Like, what I'm good at is ministry and preaching. Not a lot of call for, you know, paying for preaching, particularly when you're female and in Australia. And it was the early 2000s. And I can remember that my when I was at the training college, people said, you know, if you abandon your call, you will never prosper. You will never be blessed. Nothing good can come of that. So I had that kind of running through my head, um, not terribly helpful. And I was terrified of telling anyone. There was no one to talk to, right? There was no one I could go to and say, I think I'm gay. Or I couldn't even go, if you thought you were gay and you were an officer asking for a friend, what do you think you might consider? And 
so there was no there was no one to talk to. There was just no one to talk to. And I I left. Uh, I applied for a job. I won a job um, in Canberra. Moved to Canberra. Um, in in what I can only describe as my strange and bizarre life, the guy who was arranging my removal to join the department that I was uh, going to work for was an ex-salvationist. And I'm like, you can't tell anyone <laughs> because if you tell any of your relatives, the entire army will know before I resign. Um, so I waited until the DC came one, one weekend and I resigned. And, and I, I think it's weird now. I'm like, I can't leave until after the Red Shield appeal because I need to make sure. So it's a, the Australian National Appeal. It's called the Red Shield Appeal, really. Um, and, I, you know, I've mm. got to make sure that I'm there to do, to do that and, and then I'll leave. And looking back, I'm like, were you insane? Like, you know, why, why did you think you had to stay for the Red Shield Appeal? Anyway, the four weeks, the four weeks after I left, um, I got message, and this is pre-internet, I got message after message and card after card from people telling me that I had abandoned my call and God would curse me. So that was helpful. Um, I don't recommend that as a way of pastoral care. Um, I had a couple of people walk up to me and, and I thought it would end eventually. Uh, but even years later, some friends of mine asked me to go to a commissioning. In fact, I think it might've been your commissioning bell or if it was the year before your commissioning and, um, to support someone and, I turned up and one of my session mates was there and they said to me, what are you doing here? And like, I don't think I've ever felt quite so unwelcome in my life. And I said, I'm here to support so-and-so. And they said, what possible support could you be to them? And, and I'm like, and it's really nice. These, to word, see these you words, Alison. Yeah. These exact words. Incredible. Yeah. 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 And, um, so I kind of I picked myself up and I said, well, I'm, I'm here for, for this other person. Um, so that was hard, right? That was, that was really hard because I didn't, I didn't want anyone to hate me for who I was. And, and all of those people, if I went back to them now, they would say, we didn't hate you. We were concerned for your soul. Well, it sounded like hate at the time, right? It, it, if it, if, it, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it flies like a duck and it swims like a duck, there's a reasonably good statistical probability that it's a duck. And this <laughs> felt like rejection and hate. And again, I, I didn't have anyone I could tell. And I, I still remember the first friend who was an officer who, told, who I told, because I just kind of, you know, disappeared out of sight for a couple of years. And... Um, a friend was appointed to Sydney and I arranged to have um, lunch with her one day and she was talking about the appointment that she was in and she was meeting lots of LGBTQIA plus people and what did I think about that? And I said, listen, I, I need to tell you I'm, I'm gay. And she went, I, I said, so, you know, if you don't ever want to talk to me again, that would be okay. And she just looked at me and she said, is that what you thought? I said, you're the first person in the army I've ever come out to. 
And then I waited another six years for the second person that I came out to, um, who is well known to both you and Chris and Bill probably. Um, and so then I, and I dropped that on them in the middle of dinner. Um, yeah. Hi. Cause, cause it, it, it was just getting hard to not be me. So the decision to leave was hard. The reaction was worse than I was expecting. And I went, oh, my God, how many other people have been through this? Because I thought I was the only one. And then and I, uh, I, I got a message one day from um, someone on a former Salvation Army officer's site. And um, they said they have a very famous name because they've got a song in the songbook. And they said... Uh, and and by that stage, I was out to a few army people and who I trusted, and that was it. And this person said to me, I, I, um, can I talk to you about how you decided to come out? And I'm like, oh, well, it's always a bit of a chaotic disaster. I just, you know, I get to the point where I can't be inauthentic any longer, so I just have to tell someone. Um, and she said, well, you know, I'm gay too. And I said, oh, good. She said, why do you say good? I said, well, at least there's two of us. I said, and by the way, I thought you were dead because, like, you're in the songbook, so you must be dead. She said, no, no, I'm, I'm not dead. I said, are you sure? She said, yeah, I'm, I'm really not dead. <laughs> so um, then I, you know, I kind of found two other people, another former officer from the US and a, um, a person from the UK, and we accidentally one day started a group <laughs> Salvationists who are gay, and and I went, oh, there are a lot of us. Like within four days, we had like 150 people in the group, and it's a very quiet wow. group. It doesn't, you know, doesn't kind of you know talk very much. But but people had these stories inside them, and I went, oh, I'm not the only one. Um, and if I look back on that now, gee, I wish someone had come up to me and said, it's okay. God doesn't hate you. The army doesn't really hate you. It just thinks it does. Um, you haven't lost your calling. You haven't lost who you are. But it's going to be tough for a little while. Let me look after you. Can I ask, um, Alison, in the absence of that person, and I'm so sorry that there wasn't that person there for you at that time. And I also want to take a moment to uh, say thank you because you have now been that person mm -hmm. for so many people. Yeah. And that's meant so much to many. I know very well mm -hmm. that's the case. I would interject and say Alison was the first person, when I first came out, Alison's was the first name I was given as someone who would be supportive and help in the early stages of that journey. So I want to say as well, Alison, for all of the lives you've changed by being that person that mm. wasn't available for you. You've, you've supported so many people through their early journey. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Can I ask Alison with that in mind, you've, you've, you've talked about, you know, the, the threat, thoughts of loss of calling and, and almost, you know, threats uh, uh, that, that, you know, life ends at this point and you've, you've dealt with, 
you know, this real hate and rejection. Where was God in all of that for you? As you look back and, and even maybe to this day, where have you, where have you found God? Where, where, has, where have you seen, heard God in that whole process? So my call to officership or mission, miss, missionary, no, I don't want to be called to be a missionary, uh, ministry or what, whatever it was um, at the time was out of Isaiah 40. Comfort, oh, comfort my people. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and tell her her warfare has ended, that she has received double at the Lord's hand for all her sins. Now, I always thought that was a really weird call right? And my sessional name was Messengers of Hope. So also a weird name. I'm like, I'm, they told me my sessional name. I went, oh, you have got to be kidding. Um, I d- hadn't quite understood the sessional name thing. Um, I just kind of applied to college. I didn't realise that, you know, you had to wear dorky T-shirts and, and, and adopt an entirely new identity um, and change your first name to cadet. So in the middle of that, I knew what it was like to feel forsaken. And um, you know, at the end of the book of Job, after, you know, Job's friends had finally nicked off and which was a good thing, and God turns up and he's in the middle of the, you know, this and this is the Allison paraphrase. Well, Job, you know, you were there when I created the world. You're a big boy. Tell me all about it. Tell me about uh, how I should have done it. And Job says, surely I have spoken um, as a man without knowledge. And I reckon that long, dark night of the soul was incredibly helpful for me to go, actually, who I am and what I believe and how I function is not related to how I feel, but in what I choose to do in response to things I believe are true. Who I am at my core is determined by the values and the ethics that I bring. And if I believe that God is just and if I believe that God is merciful and if I believe that the record of history about God is true, then the Jesus that they talk about abandoning the people he called is not real. And they're the ones who've got the theological problem, not me. Um. And, you know, I'd really love to have a story where there was, you know, a voice that came down and said, I really like gay people. Um, but, you know, I knew I knew Psalm 139. Like, you know, I'd read the Bible a few times and got a really good memory, so kind of knew how it worked. But if if whosoever will may come, that's a fairly broad catchment area. What we'd say in... Uh, demography is that's a really big cohort, whosoever, very large cohort, tends towards infinity. (laughs) And if the cohort tends towards infinity, my goodness, an awful lot of people are sitting outside the door waiting for an invitation. Mm. Um, 
And you know the story about uh, Booth saying to Bramwell, were you aware men were sleeping under the bridges at night? And he said, well, yes, Father, I was. And he went, we'll go and do something about it. Um, Bramwell. It was kind of like, for me, when I realised that there were others, I'm like, well, what are you going to do about it then? Can't you just sit there and moan and whinge? What are you going to do about it? Your calling is to be an activist. I went, I don't want to be an activist. I'm an academic and a nerd and a researcher and, you know. Um, and it was like, well, you're good at logic on fire. Go and be logic on fire. So that's kind of a long way of answering it, but that's kind of the answer. Thanks. And, and really, for, for you too, you also talked, I mean, there's so many similarities in this story and there's probably people listening uh, who have also got similarities with this story, which is what's concerning and, and hard to process. But but you spoke about, you know, the traumatising uh, experience. You were, you were left broken at times and lonely. Um, where was God in all of that for you? And, and as you've looked back now, where have you seen God at work? since uh, good question <laughs> it's always hard to pinpoint calls i think <laughs> um at the time i was not busy asking myself that question where is god i must only say uh, um but but looking back um uh, I, I always think it's hard to say that i for someone that you are now in the position that god has really called you for uh, but uh, when I look uh, at what I can do now and uh, the position I have and uh, the meaningfulness of it to many people and communities, then then of course uh, um, um, uh, 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 um, uh, there must have been some. Uh, it's not all a coincidence. Uh, I, I always describe it as a blessing in disguise, and the blessing comes from God. So. <laughs> um, um, I've been taught up to to say, and I, maybe that's the reformed culture within the Salvation Army in the Netherlands, is not to to say uh, too bold things about God. At least it was in my family like that. So I still uh, feel a little bit uh, uh, modest uh, 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 saying things about that. But but looking back, of course, as I just said, uh, I'm I'm not for nothing at this position where I am now, and it's uh, so it's it's and it has been appreciated from the side of the church, from the side of the state, from the side of the uh, the bigger LGBTI community. So, um, uh, um, but from a theological point of view, I think exactly. Uh, I think that I'm exactly where I need to be because um, uh, there's a difference between Alison and me. That, as I already told, that I never felt um, um, that I never felt not loved by God or not uh, or that 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 the, the the Bible or theology or Christian tradition was against me being a, a practicing man. When, when I became a salvationist, um, uh, it was already known to all. I, I had already come out. And uh, a part of the, the of my witness that the Sunday I became salvationist was talking about this, not, not actually saying I am gay, but for people it was very clear. So that there's a there's a difference in that. So the activism was all, always there. So I also grew to where I am now. But of course, it is at the same time uh, a blessing, a blessing in disguise. And from a theological point of view, as I was starting to say, um, um and um, uh, I think that uh, when you look at the at the Bible, that's the way I try to explain it. Uh, often is that you always find God not where there is power, not where there is leadership exactly, not where people think they know how to explain scripture or tradition, but it's somewhere else. And to, throughout the Old and New Testament, 
you see that the, the people that God is calling exactly uh, are always the people that are forgotten about. Or you know all the examples: uh, Saul as the youngest son, David as the as the youngest son that was even not put in the row of, of sons to be chosen by uh, Samuel as a new king. He was forgotten about completely. Uh, but also uh, Rahab, the prostitute on the walls of Jericho, um, uh, uh, and so on and so on. And um, um, discovering discovering this and uh, it being very uh, uh, basic for my uh, theology, that is the basis on which I have, have worked. So I, f I found um, uh, a, a legitimate or justification in that to 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 be where where I am now, but I'm I don't I don't know if anymore if I'm answering still the question <laughs> that you had for me. So yeah, I, I think um, uh, so. There was the feeling of uh, of of loneliness and uh, uh, and the feeling the feeling of uh, okay, what what have I got to do now when when it's uh, when all everything broke broke down. But uh, 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 at the heart of my conviction was that I was already accepted by uh, and also already loved by God. This was not something that I still had to discover. And I think that helped me getting through all of it and finishing my theology studies and then uh, moving to Amsterdam, finding my calling within the uh, LGBTI community. All, all, all the, the possibilities just came to me, starting with the Pride Church service and um, uh, be, becoming active within the wider Christian LGBTI community, uh, talking to churches, being in their committees. There's, there's too much to to uh, to share with uh, with you. Um, and from that grew the conviction that okay, this is something that I have to do, um, and that I also have to fight for or to make clear within the church I'm act, uh, I'm active now. Uh, and in the end, resulting in this uh, position of being an LGBTI minister. Billy, throughout this journey from, you know, your early days in the Salvation Army, growing up in the Salvation Army with, you know, the heritage thereof through to this point now where you're acknowledged widely for your work with the LGBTQI community and for ministry to the LGBTQI community. Um, what have you learned? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about God? What have you learned about the Salvation Army? And what have you learned mm. about the church itself throughout this? Um, it's a big question, I know. So just oh yes, very answer. big question. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have I learned? Let me think. Um, I, I the, the 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 first answer you you tend to give is that is that God is bigger than any community you would find, but. Um, I was always hesitant to give that answer because uh, only through uh, the church or Christian communities uh, God can work. So I so so that's why um, uh, what I learned was that I always needed to stay connected to to a kind to a community uh, and not because a lot of LGBTI people say, "Oh, I don't need the church. I can. I, I still um, I still believe in God, but I don't need the church." Um, and and I think uh, I needed to stay connected because uh, I learned that the church is not only a community that we find within to have a position, but that without us as LGBTI people, the church is not complete. And so there, there's a calling for LGBTI people within the within the church. 
um, uh, in 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 the way for, only from the perspective of uh, of the experience of our coming out. So the 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 experience of feeling. Uh, like you are in prison or feeling trapped, and then the then then the then the, the moment of coming out and liberation, also as a God-given gift, to be yourself and and to uh, to live out the accepted person that you are already are by God. And um, I started off uh, from the perspective of fighting for the for an equal position of uh, gay and lesbian salvationist, but now uh, I, I grew into. Uh, the the uh, conviction that the church cannot be complete without us. So we uh, had, to, uh, and that is from the that is from the theological convi conviction that um, the church basically is a community of fucked up, uh, fucked up, if I may say it like that. So we, so it says <laughs> uh, we we're, we are not ideal people by far, uh, but 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 we are always the people that reach out will reach out to the marginalized in whatever way. And as LGBTI people, we are also marginalized. It doesn't mean that, to say we are victims, but it means that we hold a very valuable perspective, and that's and because God Himself or herself. Always, also, always looks from the perspective of the marginalized, marginalized to to find out how then the story again can be told and we can we can become part of people's lives and part of uh, the 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 story of uh, of a whole people uh, actually. So um, um, because. Sometimes people say, uh, "Okay, now you are an exceptional accepted homosexuality. Do you still have to talk about it all the time?" <laughs> of course, I do not talk about it all the time. One anecdote in my in my former village parish where I was active, that there was one um, where I was fully accepted, was completely okay. But one of the members said, "Yes, um, I like your sermons very much, but you talk about homosexuality such such so often." And then I thought, "Am I really doing that?" And then I I, I went through all my sermons. Uh, and um, found out that only in in five of the uh, like hundred sermons I did, I talked about it, and then not even directly about homosexuality. But maybe people feel that um, that I, that I constantly take this perspective to talk about uh, the meaning, the meaningfulness of God, and also the, about what kind of community the church should be. Um, so, and that all that all comes from the from what I learned to stay connected to to the church as a community and not walk away from it. Uh, because walking away from walking away from the still the spirituality of the Salvation Army or walking away from the community would be the end of me. And I guess you can also look at that from a psychological point of view <laughs> and have some questions about it. But uh, but I I also think that without relationship, without community, and without the connect, without being connected to the the stories of the Bible and the Christian tradition. Uh, uh, I am nowhere, and I think uh, people are nowhere, and I think uh, society is nowhere as well. And so, these are bold statements, but that's why I'm part of part of the church and do it from my specific uh, perspective. Um, and what I also have learned, but I don't know if it exactly has to do with uh, coming out as a as a gay man, um, is that it is not so much about convictions, uh, faith. Uh, uh, but it is much more about attitude. I, I hope you understand mm -hmm. what I mean. So it's it's about um, um, it's about constantly relating to what is happening around you, uh, knowing that you are in relationships in relationship with 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 what's around you, with your community, with what happens there, 
And uh, this being connected, which is for me at the same time, the same as being connected to God, uh, uh, always asks you the question again, okay, what does that mean for me as a Christian? And then not from a conviction point of view, but from the from a relationship point of view. How can I be? How can I uh, uh, be a trustworthy person? How can uh, make people feel that um, uh, they can relate to me? That uh, that um, that I offer them safety. Uh, these kind these these kind of questions. And um, that that's something what I try to do as a minister, and but also from the LGBTI point of view, because as LGBTI people, we are very much confronted with convictions. Yeah, so uh, uh, conservative Christians uh, very well know what our position is, and that is not within the church. Uh, and then they bring bring up all, all these Christian convictions that would that that uh, uh, to them make clear uh, what our position should be. And that has learned me to not so much look from the pers perspective of convictions. Uh, but from the perspective of uh, community, the relationship you uh, or the, the position you have within the community, and always uh, starting because I think relationship, our relationship with God is the basis for everything, and that's a very personal uh, thing. But it also has uh, consequences for the community that you are in, and you all you uh, time and again have to start with this sense of relationship, and the question is it still there, and what is the meaning of it, and is it something that is. Uh, uh, that you can appreciate within the Christian community. Am I making myself clear? <laughs> yeah, you are. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. <laughs> Alison, last one from me over to you real quick. What what have been your learnings through all of this journey? Um, so a couple of things. Uh, I've, I've got the same comment that Vili's got. Uh, you know, why do you talk about being gay so often? I go, all my straight friends come out in every conversation. Like every time they talk, it's open to them to talk about who they are. And uh, I have to choose about whether it's safe or not. And um, I, I live in a really safe environment now, but I, I've certainly had the experience of being outed at work, which wasn't great. Um, so I've learned a couple of things. The first thing is uh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and so is everyone else, Right. And God must really like gay people because he keeps giving straight parents gay kids. Um, <laughs> and he makes a lot of us. Like, I, I, I want to preach a sermon one day on the parable of the good drag queen. Um, I remember the first Mardi Gras uh, in Sydney after I'd come out to myself. And uh, we were standing on the side of the road and the dykes on bikes roar up Oxford Street. So, Vili in Sydney, I don't know if you've ever been to Mardi Gras in Sydney, but the main kind of gay strip nope. in town, um, really big road. And uh, the, the parade is started by the dykes on bikes. And the reason the dykes on bikes start the parade is they used to be the protection for the parade when it was... Uh, in its early days. And so I can remember Dykes on Bikes roaring up uh, Oxford Street and I had this experience of meeting God in that. That was yes. like Moses roaring up the desert. It was like the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. It was yeah. 
um, Jesus Calming the Storm. It was this incredible moment where God said, I will not leave my people unprotected. Um, I'm not sure that anyone else has ever had that response to bikes on bikes, but that was mine. Can, can, I, can, I, can I add, Alison, can I add to that experience and, and then return the word yep. to you? Because uh, I, I have to, uh, I had the same kind of experience in the canal parades here yep. in Amsterdam. Uh, um, uh, being in that, being cheered to by 500,000 people, and we were in the canal parade with a boat with Christian LGBTs. And then I thought, when, when, and it's also again from this uh, point of view of, of uh, people in the margin, I thought, when the kingdom of God is anywhere, it is here now. Yeah. Yeah. You, I recognize that in what you tell just now. Yeah. It was a great experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. And I've come to understand that the darkness is those who would exclude people from the kingdom of God because they don't understand them. Uh, my, mm. my favorite song in the songbook is Storm the Thoughts of Darkness. Um, and <laughs> it is, you know, I have to do theology by chorus. And <laughs> the things... The things that keep people bound, they are the things that are not of God. So if you can't be authentically you, throughout my life, people have told me about what the gay lifestyle looks like. And I know remarkably few gay people who actually live the lifestyle that Christians keep talking about. They are what some people are woefully misinformed <laughs> about what life as an LGBTQIA plus person is. And I get to say, hey, to, to like, it's kind of, is it harder to come out as a person of faith to the, the LGBTQIA plus community or is it harder to come out as gay in the church? And it's like, well, not all Christians are awful, like I say at meetings every so often. But what I've learned is that I have had pure communion and connection and realness and pastoral care and suffering in a pride committee than I often have had in the church. I remember when the same-sex marriage reforms um, were when the results of the plebiscite were being known in Canberra. And uh, I worked in a department at the time that wouldn't allow us to have a public function. Lots of other departments did, but ours didn't. And I was in my office and there were people crowded into my office to watch the plebiscite results on my television. And one... And, and I, I realised that they'd said that the plebiscite had passed. Um, and I looked around the room and one of my colleagues said, I am so sorry for what the church has done to the community. And I went, oh, I'm speechless. And for those who know me, that just kind of never happens. And I had no words because I realised that God 
was in the Rainbow Roundabout in Braddon. God was in all the people who had worked to tell their stories and that what was lacking in the church was that we hadn't told people our stories. We hadn't said, well, we hadn't told them in a way that they could hear it. And so I learned that Jesus' example of telling stories to tell truth about God was what we needed to do. Because when you know someone that this affects, it's very different to having a theological perspective without people that you know. So that's what I've learned. Thank you for sharing. This has been a really deep and powerful and moving conversation, uh, as you can probably tell from the fact that Belle and I have not really had to step in much at all. It, it, it's been moving for both of us, Belle, even just to sit here and yeah. uh, be a part of the conversation. So thank you. I do want to ask one final question, uh, just a brief answer as we wrap up before we get to the fast five, of course. Um, but you're both uh, have gone on to live very oh, <laughs> meaningful, successful lives. Um, Alison, you've got built an incredible career, fantastic networks. You support countless people. Uh, really, you've been knighted. Uh, and yet, after all of this, 20 years more, after leaving the Salvation Army, you're still connected. You've still both got songbooks on your desk. You still quote uh, scripture and songs and Alison, you still know all the statistics of the Salvation Army and and Billy, you're still uh, connected and, and sharing. What is it uh, for each of you, just briefly, what is it that keeps you both still connected after all that we've just heard? Um, well, it, it is, so, of course, being brought up in the Salvation Army, and uh, I think they're, they're, I can't compare the Salvation Army with any co other community that has this, as I, I, ca I can only explain it in this words, this sense of urgency or this sense of mission that has always stuck. And 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 there's also no community uh, that I can, can compare in the Netherlands that's that's has the mu music to accompany that. <laughs> Sorry to say, uh, and of course, I'm, I'm, I was connected until 1991-ish uh, only, so I, 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 I actually don't like the, the praise and worship music in a lot of Salvation Army core right now. I'm still connected to the old music, and there, Storm the Force of Darkness. We don't know that song here in the Netherlands, but of course, I listen to it many times. This I'm is doing the, my best to introduce this, it. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, yeah. <laughs> but that that's, uh, still kindles that, 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 that fire, and... Um, and uh, when I think of preparing a church service, of course, I, I know all the songs from the church songbook now as well, but it often still brings me back to uh, the songs that I used to sing or the words that I used to hear. And when I hear something just now, when you told you were part of the Messenger of Hope, I thought, oh yeah, how lovely are the messengers? And uh, and I'm looking it up. And that's uh, 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 that is, uh, my, uh, how do you call it? Um... Sorry, can't think of the words, but that's uh, the the what I keep in my heart are these songs and these yep. are still these uh, these memories, so to say. It's yeah. and and for Alison, you it, and it, it, wait, wait, wait. Yep. Sorry, no, I would. I, uh, um, no, never mind, Alison. Okay, Alison, for you, it's probably <laughs> been as we've heard, it's been a, a maybe more. A traumatic experience for you on a range of levels and um, some very deep hurt and pain there, but yet you still stay 
somehow connected? What is it for you that that keeps you there and interested and and sharing with folks like us? Um, the song that keeps going through my head is I've cast my burdens on the Saviour and while I pray on finding Jesus or the help I need on the onward way, right? Um, If I believe anything, it's that God has a preference for the poor, for the downtrodden, for the marginalised, for the rejected, for the excluded, for the hurt, for the... And and that's where his or her gifts are. The God that is spoken of from Genesis to Revelation is the God who has a passionate commitment to inclusion. When the Holy Spirit comes to Peter and says, here's a whole bunch of food, eat it, and Peter says, I'm a good boy even if you're not God. I'm not going to eat unclean food. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. So God calls LGBTQIA plus people. He calls all sorts of people, the weird and the wonderful. I'm not sure that the modern army would like the early army very much at all. Um, I think Elijah Cadman would be a bit of a challenge Mm -hmm. for most officers um, and for most soldiers. But you know what? I reckon I reckon that when we get to heaven, people are going to be really surprised by who's there and who's not. And all I can say is I've had a long-standing vision of a DJ and a lot of drag queens. And a few drag kids because, you know, equality is important. Um, my calling is to empower other people to do the things that God has called them to do in whatever way they understand God. And the other part of my calling is to tell people who believe that God rejects them that that is a lie of the devil. What a way. And if I'm not there, sorry, if I'm not there, who's going to say that? Well, you guys can now, but you know. <laughs> the more people saying that, the better. And you have, as we've said, said that to so many, and it's meant so much. Uh, and it's only because I would say of, of your, both of you, your enduring work and support of many people, including us, that we're here today and that these conversations can take place. Uh, so thank you both. It's been an incredible conversation. We're going to shift gear very slightly now as we move into the fast five to wrap up this uh, conversation. Five rapid fire questions to yes. uh, get your quick thoughts. Are you both ready? I think so. Fantastic. As ready as I will ever be. <laughs> then let's brace, let's uh, get stretch your fingers, relax, and prepare yourself for the fast five.
Vili, uh, thinking of people who are gender or sexuality diverse, where do you find hope in the Bible? As I already told, in the marginalized, so the the the, the, the Ruth, uh, uh, David, um, uh, Hannah, exactly. There are many people I find hope in the Bible. Alison? We've been quoting the Ruth and Naomi covenantal speech in weddings for years. The Bible is full of queer people. Um, you just got to open your eyes and have a look. Where do you see hope in the church, Alison? Revolution and Reformation. Mm, really? Today, preferably. Yeah. Uh, well, I see hope in churches wherever they uh, uh, put their arms around LGBTI people. And this is, this is happening more and more. Mm. What does being a good ally mean to you, really? Uh, being in a complete solidarity without asking any questions. That's my short answer. <laughs> Good. Alison? No talking about us without us, but it's not my job to educate you. And for God's sake, speak up. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. And Alison, yeah. if you had one message for the Salvation Army today, what would it be? We're here, we're queer. And God called us just the same as you. Move over and make room. Yeah, mm. Billy, what's your message for the Salvation Army? Well, to be again the Salvation Army, which started from uh, uh, care about the people that were marginalised and that were not uh, uh, accepted as part of society. So get back to your original mission. Good. And Billy, if you had one message for those who are gender or sexuality diverse, what would it be? Well, that, that they, uh, um, uh, of course, as all people with the name, especially hold the, the, the promise of God that he loves everybody. Alison? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God really likes you. He has a preference for you. Ignore everyone else. Thank you both, Alison and Vili, for joining us and for sharing so openly and deeply with us. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's been a real gift to share with you. It's been amazing. Thank you, Thank you both.